If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you all? I've been busy. I've been recording and preparing content for you for the fall. I've got an amazing lineup of guests. Can't wait to share them with you. Starting with this one today with Nancy O'Brien, co-founder of Experience Happiness. She's going to be sharing with us some of her research and formula for improving our physical, emotional, and behavioral well-being. I'm also happy to announce that Highway to Health website is finally up. You can see phase one of the rollout at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Got some help from my friends at Smitty's Workshop here in Minneapolis on the site, and it's, it's looking great. And uh, coming to you this fall, we'll have some more written and video content as well. You can go there to listen to all of our episodes for free, dating back to the start of the podcast in January of 2017. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our health. And it is my hope that through the conversations here on the podcast, you might be able to navigate it all with greater ease and make more informed decisions and live a vital and supported existence. Before I get to my incredible guest today, I just want to say thank you to the new supporters of the podcast over this past month and to all of you who continue to support this podcast. Your donations are helping us build a more informed and connected community. If you haven't donated yet, I have to tell you, it's very easy. You can pledge your support for as little as $1 a month. Unlike most relationships, you are in complete control here. You can change your donation amount at any time. Hit pause here and go over to patreon.com forward slash highway to health right now. I promise to keep bringing you the same amazing content and resource that you've been getting here for the past three years. One more reminder, please share us with your friends and family. If you hear a conversation, uh, maybe the one you're about to listen to here about developing a happiness practice, you can text it in an instant, share it on your favorite social media uh, by using the share icon at the bottom of your screen. And if you haven't given us a review, if you could scroll down to the bottom of your episode's feed and, and give us some stars and the reason you keep tuning into the show to help more listeners get resourced. Also, thanks to all of you who uh, commented on our Iceland episode. Uh, it was really a fun one for me. First time I've done any story time here on the podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, you can listen to it and uh, hear about tales of my family's adventure in Iceland and see the day-to-day -day story in pictures on Highway to Health podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Today's conversation is about happiness. It is a winding one, much like the path that many of us have taken to find it for ourselves. And I can't help but wondering, if I had access to this research and learned some of these principles earlier in my life, could I have avoided certain pitfalls and made more conscious decisions during my most challenging times? If I had a practice that kept me in tune with myself in a more methodical way? Most of us want to live productive and impactful lives. Experience Happiness, the business that Nancy co-founded with her partner, Linda Segu, has taken years of research along with their own challenging life experiences from their time working in big companies like IBM, Chase, Cargill, Best Buy, 3M, and time on Wall Street. 
Together, they have developed the happiness practice, which is a way not just to diminish the stress and overload many people experience in their workplace, but to help people redefine their purpose in both their work and their lives. What they have created is now being implemented in businesses, medical centers, and schools across the U.S. and into Europe, helping workers, care providers, and teachers alike build circumstantial outcomes, become more engaged, and grow as individuals. We start out here talking about the changes in mindset in, in healthcare over the past few years here in the U.S. Please enjoy my conversation with Nancy O'Brien. I think things are changing, and I think and, and I think the public isn't really aware of how much the minds of, of even the healthcare fields are changing, I'd say even in the last five years, like a lot of big change happening, which I'm sure you're, you're somewhat connected to. Yes, we were just in our meeting this morning. Um, it was our advisory meeting for Experience Happiness. And one of the, one of the members is Connie Delaney, and she's mm. the dean of the nursing school at the University yeah. of Minnesota. Yeah. And... You know, she said, you can just feel it in the last like 12 to 18 months. Like we're officially in that, we've officially shifted from wellness to well-being. It's you funny know, that there's even that system. distinction now. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, and, and then we're looking at things across the whole system, right? So not just student well-being, you know, but staff and, you know, teacher well-being. And then another gentleman on our advisory group is the president of R3 Continuum, and they're a mental health and well-being um, company, and they're interesting because they, when bad things happen in the world, they go in. Mm. So, you know, they have a network of behavioral health counselors, social workers, and um, psychologists who, well, here's an example, within two hours of the Vegas shooting, they had 600 counselors on site. Wow. Working with the concert goers, you know, to help them recover from trauma. And then Dr. George Regolius is the chief medical officer for R3 Continuum. He's on our advisory group too. And so this morning it was really interesting because George is saying, we're learning so much about the brain, but we still just know, you know, a very little bit. Yeah. But we actually are starting to understand that there's two types of violence. And there's like predatory violence, and I forget the term he used, you know, for the other one. Mm-hmm. But they all stem from poor mental health. Mm-hmm. Then you have Connie chime in to say... We have so much violence on the campus, but we don't know how to talk about it. Uh. So she was, it was a really interesting um, exchange between these three experts in healthcare, well being, whatnot, three different perspectives, and the vantage point of, you know, Connie being in the system, like U of M, Jim and George responding to traumatic events in systems and their kind of awakening of, yes, we're in a shift, a shift is happening and it's more instinctual that we're feeling it, Mm -hmm. but it's happening. 
And so I think what you're doing, Jeremy, is so important because we all need a lot of tools in our toolkit. Right, right. And at different stages of our life, we need different things. Yeah. And it's and, and health itself is this is part of what I've been pushing into is that there's there are there are aspects of, of self care let's say but you know most people are on some level they're coming to me for to as as some means of self care they're looking for they're looking for help they're looking mm-hmm. for guidance so there's you know there's an educational part to what I do naturally mm-hmm. <laughs> this is who I am but it, but it, there's but there's an aspect of that too that is is really beyond healthcare. And so there are, there are times where I, you know, I, I do a lot of work with, with mental health, partly because I see, I see missing tools. I can, I can see the threat of, you know, once I, I, as I've talked about a lot of times on the podcast, there's, there's a certain amount of intake that goes on just naturally over a period of time, which is why doing a podcast is easy for me because I'm always just trying to get as much of the story as possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once I kind of get a sense of that, and develop this, you know, trust with people. They're they're usually really good with like a suggestion, you know, sometimes or somebody that I I trust. And the podcast episodes started becoming something that I could use as a, as a referral tool. Mm-hmm. Say, oh, you should listen to this. Sometimes they just get the the information, and sometimes they say, you know, I really like the sound of this person, or my my daughter's having a really hard time, and I think I'm going to take her to see mm-hmm. this person. You know, mm-hmm. those are especially if stuff, stuff like that comes up, or it's like even even a family member beyond the person that I'm working with. So there's that's what's starting to kind of happen from it, and that's kind of the natural way of, you know, I don't feel like social media has done much for my podcast. To be honest with you, I think most of the most of the listeners have come from like this you know this inner circle around whatever I've been working on with the inner circles of all these other people mm-hmm. so that's that's and then that's and in a way I kind of knew that that was the way it would happen it, health is not one of those conversations for most people that they want to engage in so it's interesting you know like that, that's part of the reason I wanted to talk to you like your work I think you know pushes into that into that realm of of what people want to kind of do to make those changes in their lives mm-hmm. that are actually, you know, nothing that they necessarily need a lot of external, you know, stimulus with. They don't need a lot of people around to make this happen. They just need to do the work, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to realize that we as human beings have the capacity to make so many shifts without doing anything different. Mm-hmm. You know, like this morning, because um, I had an unexpected guest last night, so my, my routine yeah. was a little off, and for all the right reasons, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get my 20-minute meditation in, but how can I do a two-minute meditation? Yeah. Yeah. And just to realize that shift. But we need to tune into that reality that so much of the healing, or what I sometimes talk about, is the relief. You know, a lot of us seek new insight, new people, new practitioners, because we're, we're looking for relief. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is an internal state. And to just realize we're empowered to do that. Um, but then we also need to be supported on that journey. Yeah, Change is a way of life, but we typically are more comfortable with the change we initiate, mm-hmm. not the change that we have to respond to. Yeah. And sometimes people don't even realize that they're not they're not quite aware of shifts that have gone on and you know I, i've i've you know seen this a number of times in my practice where 
you know, someone will have some physiological things going on that are sort of clear indicators. I mean, pain is usually a fairly clear indicator. But, you know, people will come in and say, I don't feel really stressed, though. And then, but knowing the backstory of them, you might know, like, but your father died two years ago. You just changed jobs. You just moved into a new house. Like, there there are things that are just big, like, you know, stress forces that just happen. And it's not as if, you know, I think having a positive mindset as we go through them is is crucial, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're not being affected by it and, and not being able to identify that that maybe there's maybe there's something else going on here that I just need to connect into and maybe I'm not sleeping enough or maybe I'm not eating very well because I've been so busy. You know, those 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 things whenever when, whenever I'm going through something personally, I feel like I just check back in with like, what are the basics of my health? You know, am I getting enough, you know, white space or, you know, time to just sort of process some of this stuff too because mm-hmm. that's another one of those pieces for me that I I can sometimes just get so compressed and all of a sudden not be doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so easy to slip out of the of the habits that we know help us. Yeah. You know, the what you're eating, exercise, you know, whatever it is or what friendships Meditation, you're in. And I caught yeah. myself the other day and I I went over to Linda's house and I'm like, "Oh my goodness." My anxiety is at such a state right now that I would rather do than be. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm attached to my to-do list. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I think yeah. that's the, isn't that the <laughs> saying? I don't know who said that, but it's a good one. Yeah. But I'm like, I've caught myself, like, even when I get in my car, the minute my phone, you know, is working and I can call or text hands-free, I do. So I'm not even enjoying the in-between things. Yeah. Because that's, that sometimes that's the great, that's the 15 minute white space. Yeah. I know. And we don't, and we don't take advantage of it. And and that was one of the things that I I took a, I took a meditation course at the open center, probably like early 2000s. And this, the, the guy who taught this class wanted you to not kind of get so caught up in in the the transcendental part of things because i think so, so many times that becomes this productivity exercise basically of like i need to be getting somewhere you know and his, even in meditation even in meditation right <laughs> when the point is to be nowhere yeah and so he the way he taught it he said it's it meditation is like a seinfeld episode it's about nothing you know it's about it's about just being wherever you are and so, you know, he would do sort of some, you know, very practical parts of the application of like how to follow your breath and all these different things. And then he suggested like, let's, let's get up and move around the room now. And I want you to take as much of that with you as possible. And he said, you know, they call it a meditation practice because you're practicing for this, for just being in the world. And you can do it on a subway. You can do it, you know, at a stoplight, like as you're saying, like those, that's the, that's the most important use of these kinds of things. We're not always going to be able to carve out. And I, I think, I think try, when I get too like regimented, I find I, I lose a little passion for things. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I find that if I, if I can be a little more flexible and, and, and really note my opportunities and, t- and take them, that's what makes things better for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one reason I really appreciate the happiness practice is it's not another thing to do. The five principles are things that you can practice no matter what you're doing, yeah. including when you're making the conscious choice to do nothing. Yeah. 
So when when how did so you came from a, a totally different ba- oh, background, yeah. correct? Yeah, you, I've got a business degree from the were you in university. Software <laughs> well, I was so fortunate because um, right after graduating from the University of Nebraska with a little business degree, I got hired at IBM ah. in Omaha, Nebraska, and. You know, hindsight's always kind of interesting because when you're in it, you don't really kind of know what's going on. But yeah. I was really one of the last um, group of new hires for like years because it was kind of the beginning mm-hmm. of the transformation of IBM going from a manufacturing to a services mm-hmm. um, organization. And like every six months, we had a different job, a different assignment because there's all this change taking place. Yeah. And then at some point on that journey, um, there was a there were about a group of us around the globe, probably about a hundred of us, that kind of got tasked to kind of figure out the change, you know, strategy um, for this transition. And I think they picked us because we were young and we didn't know any better. Yeah, you know, just kind of like no other organization had made a shift like that before. Yeah. And as all my friends were kind of getting their MBAs and PhDs, I'm like, I think I'm living it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, so very grateful for that. And while I was at IBM, I got introduced to this concept of experience design and experience management. Yeah. And Jeremy, it's very similar to um, integrated medicine. It's like, finally, uh, a methodology and an approach that looks at everything. Yeah. You know, it looks at operations, it looks at strategy, it looks at people, process, place, it's based on neuroscience, and I'm like, I have found my place. Mm. But the same time that was coming on, the internet came in. Um, And I remember we... This rarely happened at IBM. Well, it was the first time it happened to me at IBM. This was late 90s, or...? Yeah, it would have been late late, late 90s, probably. Um, I don't know. I bet 500 of us got this email say, sign this non-disclosure and be in Dallas like in two days. And okay, well, I mean, <laughs> okay. So we're in Dallas in a very cold ballroom and the second in command at IBM came out and said, there's this thing called the internet and there's this thing called um, Lotus that we just bought. You got three days to figure out what we're going to do with it. Wow. And so, you know, I'm so grateful for my IBM experience because you got to be in situations like that, yeah. but you were always kind of in the unknown. Yeah. It's like, hmm, don't get too comfortable. And then I left IBM um, kind of buoyed by the experience design, experience management, insight, and the internet. And I said, we need to be more creative, you know, but... Most organizations have, you know, had us park our right brain, mm-hmm. you know, at the door. Yeah. And it's all been about checks and balances and this and that. And so I started um, my first business called experienceart.com. And that was about helping people live a more creative life. Mm-hmm. And then dot com kind of says it all, you know, raise some money, built an award winning site, and then, you know. Yeah. Instead of thinking I was going to raise another $20 million to build a brand, I needed to find something else to do. Yeah. So I went to um, uh, the gentleman who, who runs Experience Engineering. It's a consulting agency here in town who's really a, a global thought leader on, on 
experience design, experience management. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of interested in this. What do you got? So anyway, I joined um, Experience Engineering. I led the consulting practice for five years. Oh, wow. And really great. And, and again, constant learning. You know, yeah. like, um, I remember talking to Lou one day about two weeks into me kind of being part of the team. I said, you know, you need three things to have a consulting agency, and we don't have any of them. <laughs> so let's go build it. Anyway, grateful for the experience, learned a lot. And, and with your background, like engineering, you have an engineering, you, you, would, you, you had, to, had to develop an engineering mind, basically, mindset for things. I like to figure out how things work. Yeah. It's like, hmm, or how do you take an idea from, you know, just an idea to, you know, really, you know, making it happen. Yeah. And you'll appreciate this, I think, because... Um, you know, the math of experiences, you can't give what you don't have. So if you want to deliver a great patient experience or customer experience, you've got to first have a good employee experience. Yeah. Or for people like you and I, or, or might be working in smaller entities, we've got to be good with who we are, you know, Absolutely. in order for anything outside of us, yeah. you know, the business or the people we work with, for them to thrive. Absolutely. I, I, it's, it's something that it, it's it's been preached to me a number of times by teachers over the years too. It's like, you, you if you're not doing your your own personal work, your business is gonna is is gonna show. You know, mm-hmm. it's gonna show in, in the, the in the kinds of people you bring in. You know, you you, you become surrounded by the people uh, who are kind of there to, to to looking for what you have right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I've I've just noticed that. Like I always feel like if I'm getting if I'm getting patients or clients that are not for me. What's, what am I putting out right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's like, who is around me? You know, who am I attracting in? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, it's the mirror. Yeah, it is. So it's interesting because I'm doing all this great work, raising a couple of kids, you know, and doing everything you're supposed to do to have a healthy, happy, productive life. And if the Gallup Wellbeing Index score would have been out at the time, and it wasn't. Linda, my, my best friend and business partner in Experience Happiness, we would have scored A+. Plus. Mm. Yeah. A+. Plus. We had purpose-driven careers. I mean, no, no, I'm traveling the world doing mm-hmm. employee and customer experience design. I mean, that's fun, right? Our 401ks were flush. Right? right, I was volunteer of the decade at my kids' school. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I'm going on the family vacations. I've got a community of friends and family at the cabin every weekend. You know, and we sat down for lunch one day as friends. And I will share with you how we met because that's kind of interesting. But Linda asked a very brave question. She's like, "How are you doing?" And we it was kind of the first time, you know, in our friendship that we kind of like got really real with each other. We realized we were both suffering from suicidal ideation. Is that right? And we had done, I mean, Jeremy, we had done everything right. You know? Yeah. It's like, and you know, we're not, you know, we're not a refugee. I mean, like, like life looks good, Mm -hmm. but you know, that was a scary place to be. Yeah. And so we did not set out to create a business called Experience Happiness. <laughs> yeah. What we set out to do was figure out 
what we need to do yeah. in order to heal. Because we were doing yoga, we were doing medita- you know meditation, we were going to counseling, we were going to therapy, we were, you know, going to you know self help, you know, seminars and and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and we were not healing. Yeah. So. Um, and it's interesting how we meet, how we met, because we were both working at competing consulting agencies, going after for a piece of business at mm. Best Buy, and the gentleman who owned that project, if you will, met with Linda. Then he met with me, and of course, we're following up because we want we want to get the business. And he's like, "I'm not going to meet with either one of you again until you meet each other, because you're meant to do something mm. really important in that world." So that got our attention. And so, you know, we met, our friendship, you know, developed over five years, and then we had this this lunch conversation. And so kind of in the back of our minds, you know, we kind of remembered this gentleman's comments, like, well, maybe we are meant to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the gurus don't have it figured out. You know, maybe we're meant to actually... Or they don't have your formula. Yeah, or what's working for us. So we just dug in. And the first thing we did is we realized that we needed to redefine happiness. Yeah. Because it was out there. The next job, the next promotion, the kids' grades, you know, the vacation. I mean, whatever it was. But So at Experience Happiness, we invite people to try on this definition of happiness, which is it's our innate ability to locate and cultivate our serenity and our excitement about our life, regardless of outside forces. Mm-hmm. And this notion that it's already inside of us. You know, mm-hmm. what human being it wasn't, isn't born happy? Yeah. And that serenity is like, I'm good with who I am. Right. And I'm excited to see kind of what this moment of my life experience is, is going to be. Right? Yeah. What can I learn from it? How can I gauge in it? What aspect of me can I um, share, experience, mm-hmm. whatnot? And so then, you know, the, the solution, you know, finders in us said, well, if that's the definition of happiness, how can we take the mystery out of creating it? So then it was another year or two that, that um, we developed what's now called the happiness practice. And um, it's composed of the five principles of happiness and a return on happiness measurement system. And we just at every turn, like one of the first principles that people learn in the practice is be conscious. That's mm-hmm. about being simultaneously aware of what you're doing and how you're feeling. Like, be here. Get your head and heart working yeah. together. But how do you do that? Mm-hmm. So for each of the five principles, we break it down into five steps. Yeah. I'm sure there, I mean, it, there's, there's, there, each, each of them must have so much dynamic to, to it. So, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but I, 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 I kind of see where you're going with it. Because I'm like, we didn't get it. Yeah. You know, and, and at this time, at this time, we didn't know we were going to be business partners. Mm-hmm. You know, we were just like, we got to get out of this state of suffering. Mm-hmm. And so we just kept peeling it back and peeling it back. And we started feeling better. We were walking around the lake one day and, you know, at this point, you know, our um, relationships, you know, were kind of suffering because of, of, of the stress. 
um, careers, you know, kind of go rocky at that time. So mm-hmm. the externals were kind of still kind of in various pieces, right? Did you have other other um, work or business projects happening while you started this? Yes, we tried to do. I mean, we we both continued to do consulting. Um, and then I would bring her in to do some experience design consulting. She'd bring, bring me in to kind of do um, some of the work that she was doing. And so that was helpful because we got to understand each other's skill sets. Mm-hmm. And like, we are either a complete person together or 10. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're very much yin and yang. It's like, this is so perfect. And then as we were just, you know, really digging into this, our friends noticed that we were shifting. Mm-hmm. And they're like what's up with you? And we're like, well, we're kind of like redefining happiness and, and creating kind of practices to, to authentically be in that state, mm-hmm. you know, of happiness. And then they're like, well, teach us. So yeah. then we're in our friends' living rooms and church basements and yoga studios. That's a, that's a great organic way for it to go though. Cause, because the, the other side of that could have been, they might have been resistant to your change too, which I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure that happened. As I'm well. sure that happened too. Yes. No. Yeah. Right. Right. When energy shifts, energy shifts. Yeah, so when yeah. you start shifting, you start having different requests yeah. of yourself and others, yeah. and then then people are going to respond, you know, differently to that. Yeah. I will share with you that what we know now that we didn't know then, and we learned this when we started working with Hinnom and Healthcare, is that back. At, at that precious lunch conversation, we were suffering from burnout, yeah. which is physical, emotional, and behavioral symptoms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jeremy, we were raised to go to the stress management classes, you know, yeah. not to go to the stress of burnout class. Yeah. You know, so we didn't, we didn't understand why we just felt so lousy. And, and I, was, I was just talking about this to someone the other day. I feel like you might have a similar experience to me, but growing up in the Midwest of sort of depression era family, there's there's an aspect of like, you you can't have everything and, and still not be happy. Like you, you should be happy with almost nothing, mm-hmm. which in some ways I, I, th- I had a lot less growing up. Yeah, maybe I was happier then, but I was also a child then. <laughs> But you know, once you st- once you kind of you know get closer and closer to the to to who you you know wanted to be or develop, the the I think the forces of the world around you start to demand more of, of you too. They're like, oh, they want some of what you have, and all of a sudden, you know, that's what I was talking about you off mic uh, with, with you off mic before is that with my with my private practice, you know, fifteen years into my private practice, I had I was at the same place. I was like. 30, 35, you know, people a, a week. And, you know, we're talking one, one and a half hour sessions, a lot of stuff. I was dealing with newborn parents. I did a lot of work with newborns, working with people with chronic pain. So it's heavy, you know, focused work. And there's not a lot of time for you, you know, as, a, as the practitioner. But again, like we said earlier, if you're not doing your own work, you're not going to serve that very well. And I just started to see that in myself at that point. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm not... Not going to continue this way. Mm. What made you shift? I think that. I mm-hmm. think. I think. I also. I think. I, I had a, a also a moment right when I got back to Minneapolis, 
I had a, there was a guy that went from back in the my music days, who was a had a recording studio here. It's actually in, in Mankato, about an hour and a half south of the cities. And I had a couple of years where I spent a lot of time with him. He, you know, just creatively, and and also he would just come see us play a lot, and we did just a lot of sort of, you know, idea work together in terms of the music. And I kind of lost touch with him because whenever I was coming back to Minneapolis from New York, I, I didn't make it that far. So I would sort of hear what was going on. And he had started a magazine, is doing some other stuff. And then I got a, a text message from a friend who said, did you hear that he just passed away? Oh. He had had, he got di- diagnosed with colon cancer at 38. Oh. And so this was about maybe a year or so into moving back here. And we moved to Minneapolis because of a, a job for my wife. So even though I grew up here, <laughs> we ended up. Back <laughs> she here. got you. Well, we're so yeah. glad she got you back here. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, you know, I, there was there was something that that really got set off with that experience. And I had like a I had like a month or so where I was just like, you know, just sort of knocked the wind out of me. I was just sort of like, ugh, now what? You know, what am I? Ugh, you know, just couldn't kind of shake the feeling. And I don't know. There was there was something there was something about. That that I think was starting to be missing from my practice in terms of like bringing, I, I think it was it was very creative in the way that I was kind of putting my practice together for a long time, and you know even starting a business in Brooklyn there was there was a lot going on. But then you know the other side of that was like I, I kind of want to do something more. I want to like you know in the way that I would do when I was you know maybe performing or when I was like putting something out there for people. So in in a way like the the I feel like. I knew audio. The, the 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 that was the easy in for doing the podcasts, and I felt like each each of them could sort of contain something in, in the way that a song would. You know, there's mm. something about that for me. It was like trying. You know, early on, I was being very meticulous. It's, I've gotten a little looser about it, <laughs> but but it has sort of turned into what what it's the, the format is. But that's that was that was something I think I really needed to sort of push into. And then I started enjoying my practice again. Mm. You know, I really like all of a sudden it, it just started to thrive again too. Like everything just kind of fell into place. Because mm-hmm. so you were honoring it. Yeah, you were honoring your need. Yeah. You know, yeah, principle number five in the practice is learn life lessons. And in the context of the happiness practice, it's about life lessons are looking at our belief systems mm-hmm. um, and realizing that our beliefs you know, basically inform our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our beliefs were instilled in us when we were young. And if we were raised with parents who are kind from the, there's there's never enough. Right. And if you're lucky, maybe there's just enough. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a lot of beliefs, you know, I in particular need to unpack. Mm -hmm. And all that discomfort, right, is the teacher. Like lean into that, yeah. but you know we're not we're not talking about that. We're we're saying, you know, and we love positive psychology, but it's like don't just switch out your feeling. Like lean into that feeling because that discomfort is trying to get your attention. Yeah, I like that. You know, maybe there's an adjustment you need to make. Maybe 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 part of the discomfort it comes up as just I've been sitting too long and I need to move around. Maybe some of the comfort comes up to say, you know what. I am not being as open and vulnerable as I'd like to be. 
and that's impacting my relationships. And I want to dig into that, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a different type of, you know, discomfort. The discomfort is my relationships aren't as rich, enriching and, and intimate as I'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. What's mine? And so really yeah. just this morning, I, 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 uh, I, uh, you know, thank goodness for the practice. Thank goodness for Linda. Linda and I, you know, use the practice as much as we can every day because it's a practice. We help each other with the practice. And I'm like, I need to go call a therapist. You know, mm. I'm bumping up against some stuff that I know is born from my childhood. And I can't unpack that myself. You know, yeah. I, need, I need somebody who's skilled. And yeah. unpacking that, um, and I trust that my discomfort that's arisen now um, that led me, you know, and then my practice helped me see kind of what I'm dealing with. Instead of judging myself, I'm kind of celebrating myself. Well, clearly, I'm meant to deal with this now. I'm equipped to look at this now, mm-hmm. and I wasn't equipped to look at it before. I, I remember feeling something very similar to what you're talking about when I went through a divorce. And, and, I, and I even, I, I think I was aware enough of it at the time where I, when I had this conversation with a therapist, I, I said something along the lines of, when I, when I, when I let myself just feel, or when I kind of lean into the, of the, the discomfort of what's going on and all the, you know, the guilt or the whatever we would call, probably consider the negative associations of what's going on, I felt better. You know, the other side of that was I felt better. And it's like we, we can distract ourselves from leaning into those, those feelings. But if we don't, I don't think we get to the other side of that, which is happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I am so excited to go on this journey and learn this life lesson because I actually know I'm going to feel better and amazing new opportunities will open up and my happiness will be, um, I'm going to say, more authentically intact, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as a result. Yeah. I love the counselor I go to because when, when I was going through the divorce, I would go to him every once in a while and he said something to me one day, just as he was leaving, you know, they just, they know when the 47 <laughs> minutes are up and he's getting up and I'm like, I just got started. And he's, he's, he's closing the door and he says to me, you need to give up hope. Now that took me a good six months to work on, mm. right? Because up until then, I'm like, I'm supposed to be optimistic. You know, if I just, you know, if we, if, if I change or something, you know, it's like the, the, you know, what, what is will be different. And he's like, what is, is Yeah. let, let what is be. Yeah. And he just, you know, it was just this give up hope and like, whoa. About the marriage or about what was, what was the hope yeah, at that probably, point? Yeah, probably, again, some of this is hindsight. Give up hope of feeling loved in that relationship. Oh, I see, I see, yeah. I can, I can share that now because of what, you know, I've learned, you know, on this journey with experience happiness and developing the happiness practice and, and you know, what we'll share when we share the practice with others is there's two core beliefs that 
you know, most destructive behavior comes from. It's the belief of I'm not loved or I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah. And I had to lean into that. Yeah. You know, but that was also when I was putting my happiness outside of me. Like something outside of me needs to change yeah. in order for me to be authentically happy. So, you know, I, 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 I say I am grateful for those really uncomfortable and seemingly disruptive moments in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and with hindsight, I can look back and say, but when I had the courage to lean into them, like you, I feel better. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more whole. I, I feel I'm, I'm more authentically me. Yeah. You know, as opposed to trying to be a version of me to uh, appeal to someone. So, so this else. must be something that you try to give to people that there's, there has to be this duality. Like you don't, you know, it can't all be just roses all the time. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we want to so avoid those other experiences. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel like I'm going through it a little bit right now as a parent too. Like I, I want to protect my children from going through certain kinds of experiences, but you know, a 16 year old is just going to have discomfort. Like there's just n- nothing you can do about it. And you just have to, I just, I think it's been helpful that I've had a practice like I've had for so long because, and it's not as easy when it's your own child, but just to be able to, just to be, you know, just to be there and say, I'm sorry, you know, like I, yeah. I I'm sorry that happened. Like that's, there's nothing more you yeah. can do. Yeah. And I know that hurts. Yeah, exactly. And, and those feelings won't hurt, won't hurt you. The feelings won't hurt you. Yeah. But that's why, like, um, principle number two in the practice is honor feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, just as we're always kind of learning, it's like you got to honor all of them. Yeah. And we actually have, in our materials, we um, share the, um, there's a list of feelings from the Center of Nonviolent Communications. And on one side, it's the list of feelings when your needs are satisfied. And on the other side, it's the list of feelings when your needs are not satisfied. Well, that list is like twice as long, <laughs> you know, as the list of when your needs are, are satisfied. Yeah. Now that says something about oh, yeah. where we are in human evolution that smarter people and I will figure out. But to realize that our feelings are our rich data that we're meant to pay attention to and not stuff them. And you probably see this in your practice because what we learned is, you know, most forms of dis-ease come from suppressing feelings. Mm-hmm. Even the good ones. Yeah. You know, how many yeah. of us suppress oh, joy? Totally. Right? We go on to the next thing. Yeah. We don't hook into that amazing moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know... Suppression plus, plus time equals disease. I mean, they're linking suppression of feelings to everything from rheumatoid arthritis to um, cancer, you know, yeah. and maybe even dementia now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, um, I'm probably a little older than you, but my feelings were not anything my parents wanted to listen to. Yeah. There was really no room for that emotional data. Yeah. And so... I'm still, you know, learning how to honor 
all my feelings, Mm -hmm. the comfortable and the uncomfortable ones. And realizing that just by acknowledging how I'm feeling, even just to myself, well, there I go again, feeling a little anxious, but what's underneath anxious? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling the need to like complete task. Well, what's that? Oh, I'm feeling, you know, rushed or whatever it is, right? It takes me a moment to kind of figure out what the feeling is. Right, yeah. Um, But then I just kind of look at, well, there's the feeling, and then it's like the weather, and it passes. Yes, exactly. But I spent my life kind of avoiding those uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, yeah. And now we can can so quickly just like, I feel uncomfortable, grab your phone and just start going through something. You know, just as a way of like, ah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit with that right now. It's just so easy to just, you know, take off in a, in a tangent from that. Yeah, like we said, it was started. I mean, I caught myself the other day. I shared with Linda. I'm like, I would rather do than be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's it too. That's a little messed up. And it's it's interesting too because I, I I know you do some work now as well with with sort of business yes, leaders yeah. and stuff too because yes. I feel like the, the way that it enters into think some, you know something that I'm very aware of with myself is that this this you know allowing ourselves to feel these good feelings of happiness of or even completion of a project or you know there's there's always you know once I once I'm success success looks like this and once I get to that then I'll be happy but that that horizon is always just a little further and further and it's one of the things I've really recognized for myself that I just, I, you know, I, I, I need to like take moments to like celebrate some, something, you know, and, and I, and it's, it's something that I'm getting better at. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, there is a driving force there that's, you know, it, it, again, there's this duality going on. There's, there's, there's a good part of that, but if you don't get to experience the, the good feeling out of it, what's the point? What's the point? Right. And when we're always leaning into the uncomfortable you know, and and not giving the comfortable yeah. kind of some water and some fertilizer and yeah. some sunlight. Because yeah. those are, you know, what, what we've learned, the, one of the reasons the THP is a six-month journey for people is each, practi- each principle is learned in practice for 30 days because that's the time it takes our neuroplasticity to make new mm-hmm. neural pathways. Yeah. So, you know, the more you practice being conscious, the more conscious you will become. Yeah. The more you practice honoring your feelings, the more you will naturally begin to honor your feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, principle number three is release control to be empowered. You know, so we step out of being a happiness hostage, which you were just talking about. Exactly. I'll be happy when. Yeah. I'll be happy when my son's teenage discomfort dissipates. Yeah. I'll be happy when, you know, whatever. But then we're just, we're just, we're never going to get there. Right. I've got to be happy now, even in observing my son's discomfort. Yeah. I've seen it a lot with, um, in my practice with people who retire. And I think we, we're held hostage by our jobs a lot of times. We think that it's our job that's making us unhappy. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Jeremy. I just learned this yesterday. I was talking to this amazing woman, Marianne. She leads, uh, she's one of the uh, leaders of this program, amazing program called Upturnships. Anyway, she was saying that an athlete, and you probably will will resonate with this, um, a professional athlete doesn't work 52 weeks a year. 
their season might be like a nine-month season. And their careers really aren't 30-year careers. Their careers are more 5, 10, kind of depending on, on the sport, right? <laughs> but those of us in, at the corporate athletes, we work 52 weeks a year, mm-hmm. right, for 30, 40 years. Yeah. No wonder, you know, burnout just became a diagnosis yeah. of the World Health Organization. So we've got some adjustments we yeah, need to make. Absolutely. It's interesting, the, the athlete thing, too, because the thing that athletes have is a way to release. <laughs> And, and, I, and I, I, I think about this a lot from, I, I did have kind of an athletic, you know, background and I, and I see it a lot of times in when I've, like I told you kind of my, the way my practice is, I've, I've done, you know, body work as one side of my practice and movement work as the other side of my practice. And sometimes I'm working with people in both. And the interesting thing is that the movement work, and I'm sure you've, you've maybe had some experience with this, like doing yoga or something the the kind of emotional release that can sometimes happen once the body starts moving through different forms it it's like we 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 needed it to go through that to actually experience the motion like the way things sort of get stuck in our bodies and in in different ways need to have and i think that there's an energy that sort of builds too it's like it's probably neural in in nature it's just you know part of our our fabric of our of our universe that there's just stuff that kind of gets harbored in us mm-hmm. and and it needs to move like that and athletes kind of have this this ability to like just constantly churning and getting this flow of of movement in, in them i almost wonder sometimes like what what it must be like for athletes after the after mm. that's done well our systems are meant to move right yeah so okay, what a couple of years ago sitting is is the new smoking yeah, kind of yeah, came yeah, out yeah and you know when you dig into that, it makes perfect sense. It's like our bodies are meant to move, and you know, you know, in the agra- uh, um, agrarian kind of society that we were in, we were moving all the time, yeah. right? And we were out in the weather and the sunlight and the you know the rain, the sleet, the cold, and now we're inside at our computers, and we're also isolated. Yeah, I think we're more isolated too. Even even within you know the the social fabric that's being you know developed <laughs> for us, it's not really it's it's not organic, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we don't we don't get to have the sort of true organic experience of of a relationship, you know, in its you know hitting ball back and forth in, in that and the in the speed that it happens. And I heard I heard I I had a podcast with this guy uh, Jay Wall Jasper who used to be the editor of the Utney Reader. And he was telling me that he read something about that we needed about six hours of in-person time a day, and that research was hoping to find that these these social networks would would help us, you know, mm-hmm. with, with that. But it turns out not to be true. But that even even just being in pr- close proximity to other people was enough. Mm. That it was it was better than than social media was to just mm. be in a cafe or at a concert or something where you're actually like experiencing that, that, you know, something with other people. I love that. Um, one of the gentlemen who's certified to, um, he's a certified THP Sherpa. So he's sharing the practice with others. He's got a, he's got a degree in integrative medicine and he's like, we're social emotional creatures. And he's like, THP is like your instruction manual. 
mm-hmm. you know, on how to, you know, be that social, emotional creature and, and to tune into what our needs are. And sometimes we need, we need to be with, yeah. you know, other people. And we only, we only find the connection, I think, that way. Like, I think the way we arrange these kinds of things online, we, we kind of create titles or we have, you know, there's, there's something that sort of, you know, before the, the human person behind it, whereas when we just meet each other in person, we're, we're only whatever that is. And sometimes, you know, you, you meet somebody and you have no idea. I met, I met <laughs> this is a kind of a funny story, but I think you actually know this person too. Do you know John Peterson, the, the sauna, 612 sauna people? I think maybe I saw he was on your LinkedIn. No. Maybe you guys have connected somehow. But anyways, he started these mobile saunas in Minneapolis. And I have a friend who's done some work with them for fundraising and they got the mayors of Minneapolis and St. Paul like four or five years ago to come together oh. for one of these things. It was at Surly and at the brewing company. And so we're, and it was sort of an outdoor event. It was like, it was late winter, but it was still kind of chilly and people were walking in and out of them because they were warm. And I ended up having this conversation with this guy who sounded just like a good friend of mine. And I was like, so I had to say to this friend of mine, doesn't he sound just like you know this guy? Because I knew that he knew him too. And he's like, you're right. So I'm having this conversation. Later I say, so how do you know, how do you know JP? And he says, I'm the mayor of St. Paul. It <laughs> 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 was Chris Coleman. <laughs> and I've been talking to him for like 15 minutes and we were having a nice talk. But I felt like at that moment also like, now things have changed, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, maybe he, maybe he was into his title or not. Maybe it was just like, you know, yeah. he wanted me to to make sure I got that ad- yeah. identifier. Um, but when we, but when we're on, you know, online in these different, you know, forums, we're not really having this real sort of human, you know, this ability to like find that connection. And I feel like, you know, you and I met for a pretty short period of time and I felt something like right away. I did too. I'm like, I like you. Yeah. And, yeah, and, like, and that's yeah. what, that's what can happen in person that, mm-hmm. that just can't happen in that way. I agree. And I think it's about, um, you know, we we have all these, I'll say s- senses, right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're picking up data all the time yeah. and, um, being able to see you, you know, and, and kind of, feel your essence, you know, is very um, comforting, mm-hmm. you know, because you're like, I, okay, I, I see you, I get you, yeah. you know, I'm like, this is good. What is it that you guys are doing yeah. in, in, in corporate world? And, and are, you, are you doing anything as it relates to like how we experience each other? So thank you for that. I mean, we, um, the, the happiness practice or THP for short, mm-hmm. um, we work with individuals and um, in kind of in the consumer space, but also in organizations. And we have a measurable um, improvement on individual and business performance. So just going, I'm just going to back up for just a moment. So one of the women who engaged in the happiness practice at a yoga studio back in the day. It's like, I, uh, this made me a better leader. <laughs> it's made me a better mother. Mm-hmm. I think everybody on my team needs that. So that's when we developed that, the return on happiness management system. Because yeah. we knew if we were going to go into businesses you know, with the happiness practice, we needed to measure it yeah. um, at an individual level. 
um, but also to key performance indicators, mm-hmm. you know, at the department and organization levels. So, you know, what's so fun for us right now is the well-being movement is here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our clients are innovative leaders who really are dedicated to improving the well-being and performance, you know, of their most precious asset, which is their people. Yeah. And then we help them by measuring the impact because a lot of programs, um, they measure participation, right? Did you attend? Mm -hmm. They don't measure impact, you know, or performance. So we're super excited uh, about, you know, we can stay really um, with all the work we've been doing with clients, um, including our, our friends in Finland. Burnout and the 16 signs and symptoms of burnout and the 12 signs and symptoms of happiness as people go through the engagement um, improve. So burnout goes down about 20%. Happiness improves about 17% kind of simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But the key performance indicators like quality, um, turnover, engagement, those things improve as people do their work. Yeah. And we, we do the practice. Um, we can do individual self-pace, but also we do it in groups. It's really interesting when a cohort group comes together that work together and they engage in the practice, their language changes. They'll start mm-hmm. using the practice as kind of part of their, I'll say, cultural language. Because yeah. like principle number four is co-create what works now. So once you learn, learn that principle... Then it's a, you know somebody on the team will say, hey, well let's just co-create what works now, and everybody kind of knows what that means and can step into the three steps, and then mm-hmm. you're then you've got the innovation engine, you know, all dialed in. But you know, I don't think there's an organization that we talk to. So we, the people in Finland, they're just they're so wonderful. So there's a um, we're working with Millie Mackey Primary School, and um, you know, th because they knew that they had kind of a stress and burnout issue with their teachers who work with, what's the, what's the proper? It's not at all a replacement for what people might need to do to manage their mental illness. You need to kind of do both mm-hmm. years, but we need something else. Mm-hmm. So we said, yes, we'd love to work with you. And it was so great because, you know, they're Finland. They are the world's happiest country, according mm-hmm. to the United Nations World Happiness Report, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So, and these these... Beautiful people were just amazing. They were going through the, they were doing the practice and were seeing the measurement results. And like, you guys are like 30 times happier than you were, you know, and you're what's true. And like skyrocketed like 17%. And then we were tracking things like the principal was really um, excited to see if people would take more breaks during the day. Like she could mm-hmm. tell they weren't taking care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. And so we were we found a way to count count if teachers were taking breaks during the day. She also wanted to, to see if if um, people would attend staff meetings. So those key performance indicators, you know, um, improved. But we were also tracking student behavior. So the teachers identified six behaviors these special needs children exhibit when they're not feeling heard and six behaviors they exhibit when they do feel heard. And all those, I'll say, signs and symptoms of feeling heard improved and the signs and symptoms of not feeling heard 
um, reduced mm-hmm. by the teachers feeling better. So that goes back to one mm-hmm. of the things we first said, you can't give what you don't have. So the teachers stress, right? The kids pick up on, oh, yeah. right? And so if the teachers are in a good place, you know, the kids will calibrate to that and be open, you know, to maybe learning more. Have, have, have you done work in, in healthcare? Yes. Because I, when, when you started talking about it from the teachers and students' perspective, of course, my brain is thinking about, and, and, and this, this doctor that I was doing work with, he was like extremely aware. He's younger, so he was like really trying to fix some of his own problems in his career. You know, like the things that, the, the art of medicine that he felt like he wanted to practice was not as available as he had hoped. That he was much more of an administrator than he had hoped, and the burnout was already real. And the uh, article had just come out saying that doctors are now the highest suicide rate profession in the country. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and and you know, anytime I'm in a hospital, I'm like hyper aware of like just in what poor health the the people who are giving care are in. You know, and he was very aware of this with himself too. It's part of the reason he kind of ended up in the mountains and <laughs> in California is because I think once you get into a really big health system too, it's almost impossible to, to free yourself from the burnout. I know. So yeah, one of our clients, and this is where we really learned about the 16 signs and symptoms of burnout was mm-hmm. working with, um, hit up in healthcare. Um, we were brought in um, right on the heels of the gang shooting that happened outside the emergency department where bullets, you know, came in to mm-hmm. the lobby. Thank goodness nobody was physically hurt. But how they, long ago was that? That was uh, five years ago, I think. Okay. So the director of of the emergency department at that time, and now she's a director of critical care, and she's also a certified THP Sherpa, and she's working with us in Finland. So, which is she's just an amazing human being. Um, anyway, she's like, oh, we know, we know our staff is, is stressed out and burned out, but now we have trauma as well mm-hmm. from this. I mean, you'll know this, but we, there's 20 departments that make up the emergency department from paramedics to, you know, lab techs to chaplains, yeah, financial yeah. planners. And so we, we looked at that whole ecosystem and we had 184 people from these 20 departments going through the happiness practice in a, in a series of ways. We started with senior leadership, then midline leadership, and then um, frontline staff of these 20 departments. And we were measuring um, not only the, the impact of people being equipped with the practice on, you know, signs and symptoms of burnout, signs and symptoms of happiness, but key performance indicators such as employee engagement, patient satisfaction, things like that. So lo and behold, um, that this took us probably about uh, 12 to 18 months to kind of roll out, you know, mm-hmm. to everybody. Burnout on the average went down 22%. Happiness and its byproducts, innovation, resiliency, sustainability went up about 18%. Engagement went up 7%. And patient satisfaction improved by 0.3 points. And they were 22 nurses shy and going through workforce reduction. Hmm. And we would show up, Lynn and I would show up at 7 in the morning, like the day after the election, when we'd have the... Um, 
um, EMS, mm-hmm. you know, people there, and they're like, we need an ambulance, but we probably also need this happiness practice too. Because, too. you know, in some of these careers, you just said burnout is a condition, yeah. you know, of the job. And so how do you prevent it, mitigate it, you know, catch yourself, can you, when you're in it, because the interesting thing about burnout is you don't get yourself there, you find yourself there. Yeah. You, it kind of, it's like frog oh, in yeah. a pot. Yeah. You don't, you're not seeing it. Yeah. It, it, you're just there. So how, how do you intervene just so, you know, people can kind of understand yeah. what this looks like, like for these 12 to 18 months? Yeah. Are you on site? Do they have permissions to like take breaks to work with you? Or how does, how does that all work? Yeah. We work with the organization um, to figure out what works best for their culture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do in-person sessions. Sometimes it's online. Sometimes it's all self-directed, you mm-hmm. know, through video. Sometimes it's one-on-one coaching. Okay. So we really pay attention to what's going to work, you know, in the organization. Do you have any seminar parts of it? or? Yeah. So for every principal... There is a 45-minute learning session, and this is where we kind of equip people with the concept of the principle, um, the the three steps to practice, and kind of equip them with a with the inspiration to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, and then two weeks later is the happiness huddle, and magical things happen in the happiness huddle because that's where people become students and teachers of each other in this life practice. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned from you on how to be conscious, you know, or what's working for me or what what I'm kind of struggling with, right? Um, But then also um, natural team building occurs um, and organic problem solving and individual and professional development Mm -hmm. uh, occurs at the same time. Um, And so it's just, you know, it's always kind of magical because at the beginning of kind of the journey, people's like, when am I going to a happiness huddle? And it ends up being everybody's favorite part because they're learning from each other. And so I've always got it story yeah. and like, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, um, we had a, we had a session earlier this week that I was, that I was part of and, and we were on principle number two, honor feelings. And this gentleman was just like, I don't take time to feel at all. Ever, ever. No wonder my wife, yeah. <laughs> you know, says these things to me. But, you know, thank you for un- helping me understand what feelings are mm-hmm. and how to honor them. So, so, you know, I'm hoping that in a few weeks we'll get another story from him. It's like, you know, my wife thinks this is fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah. So it's a, and it's a life practice and, um, you know, some days I'm better at it than others. Yeah, you know, but I also think that, you know, Lynn and I are not like anybody else. You know, we teach what we most need to learn. We just, um, what we were doing as human, well, we were human doings 15 years ago when we met. And, you know, we really want to be human beings and, and trust that if we're the if we're cultivating our well-being, we're going to be able to be in better service, you know, to our families, to our friends, to the communities that we operate in. Yeah. Going back to one of the first comments, we can't give what we don't have. Yeah. So if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. And then I also understand that if grandma's not happy, like run. <laughs> 
Well, you know, the thing is, uh, and, and you, you and I were talking a little bit about my Iceland experience. And the, the thing I, 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 I think, I, I haven't been in Europe for a while. And, and I think there's a, there's a very European aspect of, of Iceland. But I, there is something about just like Iceland being its own very unique, separated. It's an island, <laughs> you know. They're they're not necessarily as influenced by the the cultures within Europe or the cultures of America. It's not to say that they're not you know learning about what's going on and and having having an influence by being such a small country. But there's there's something that's sort of very unique to it, and and the the pace is just different. And and I think that, that was that was an important thing for me to be to be in. For a period of time, it was just it just there was a there was a reset that happened there, and I feel like since I've been back in the states again, I'm just sort of trying to hold hold right. on to some of those <laughs> those little bits that I still have of that. Yeah, like like okay, let me just like go back there. Yeah. Remember what that felt like. I know. Well, and one of the things we learned about Finland, I mean, oh my goodness, they're just so amazing. So. You know, I really, I think the World Happiness Report had just kind of come out. They were ranked number one, so we're congratulating them. But, you know, when we were having, you know, dinner, you know, with our friends in Finland, they're like, uh, we're not happy, we're content. And yeah. when, and maybe we should be happy. And then you're talking to the head of education. We did, we did an event there um, when we were there. We did the kind of a... Uh, uh, we invited healthcare leaders and educating leaders to kind of event at, at the school and and we don't speak Finnish, so we yeah. had our friends kind of do some translation for us. And at the end of our session, this one woman said in Finnish something I'm sure wonderful. And I'm like, what did she say? And she goes, we need to bring this to everywhere and to everyone. And I'm like, well, that, that would be great. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Well, what you realize is they mean that. Yeah. And then you lean into it and this woman, oh my God, she's not only the head of education, but she's the head of well-being because it's the same person that yeah. has that job. Yeah. And then you lean into it and you say, tell us more. Well, well-being has been their strategy to maintain their independence from Russia since World War II. Because really, we could have walked to Russia mm-hmm. from where we were staying. Yeah. And, and so we were just leaning into this, like, how did you guys come about this as a country to really have well-being your number one priority? And how do you go about that? And, you know, they're like, well, it's taken us a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love this. They say, now we ha- have it down to one question we ask, no matter what decision we're making. How will it impact the children? Yeah. So they get out of there, you know, what's working for me right now. Mm-hmm. They look out to the next generation and say, we're about to make this decision. How will it impact the children? So they do things like, like in the school we learned, it's like kids can run in the hallway. Kids can run, they can jump, you know, they got all the little bouncy things. It's like move, yeah. right? Um, every child has a healthy lunch that's free because they know that if you eat healthy, you're going to you know, perform better. They also don't have homework. They think I've, it's I've just as important to play. You're going to learn just as many things climbing a tree mm-hmm. or playing a game with your friends than you are you know, in the classroom. So we can learn a lot from our friends in Finland. Yeah. 
And I, that's, that's the way I felt too with my kids in, in, in Iceland. And also going back to the generational aspect of this, that was one of the pieces that, and I think it's more available in a smaller country in some ways because one of the, one of the questions my, my son asked at one point was, are people, are people more, you know, he's, you know, he commented that people seem more comfortable here. And I, I kind of, you know, said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, well, do they make more money than us? And I said, you know, I didn't, I said, I don't, I don't think so, but I, I bet they're just comfortable with less. And I, I'm guessing, I don't really know, but <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that they also, the, the, the mean income is probably closer together than it is here mm-hmm. or in probably many countries. Mm-hmm. And so that it creates, that, that in itself allows for certain kinds of comfort together. You know, and and I felt like that was one of the things I just witnessed was there's and I've seen this in other places like Ireland and different places I've traveled to where I, f- I feel like people will hang out in pubs and restaurants together who are all ages. It doesn't. It's not like this is where the the young hip people go and this is where the people with you know big four hundred one ks go. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I feel like that's the way things end up kind of getting sort of spliced up, and and so we we end up in our own little you know pocketed groups. You know, it was interesting because I just um, recently moved into my apartment, and um, I'd been renting this home because my daughter and her th- and her um, dogs moved back in to- with me for a few years, so we need a different space, which is fine. Um, but one of the reasons I-, I chose the apartment building I'm living in is the diversity. Um, clearly, you know, kids that are kind of going through college or their first careers, roommates, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And then there's, you know, people with young children and then, you know, there's people from different nationalities. And I mean, I just, I just love the elevator, Yeah. you know? And, um, and so I, I, I think it's, for me, it's important to me to be in a diverse community Yeah. because it's so easy for think for us, us to kind of just find, you know, our tribe and mm-hmm. just go to the places that the tribe goes to. Exactly. And then we're kind of missing out yeah. of the learning. And I think in workplaces, we're seeing this too, right? This is the first time we have four generations in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And there's so much we can all learn from each other. Yeah. I, I mean, my kids are my favorite millennials. And, and, you know, if I'm struggling with something, especially with technology, I'm like, I call them, I need a millennial, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I can't figure this one out. And I know you can, you can figure it out like 30 seconds for me, but you know, I, I want to, I want to learn from everybody. I want to learn from the young kids. I want to learn from the, the, you know, people older than me. I want to learn from different, you know, people who come from different, you know, backgrounds. And I, that's what's interesting. Yeah. And, and I'll take this back to the practice. What's so nice about the practice is it's for everybody. My kids learned the practice when they were 10 and 12, you know, as, as Len and I were development, developing it. And they would then say, Mom, I'm bringing some friends over. Would you teach them the practice too? You know, because um, the desire to be happy is universal. Yeah. And the desire to have your friends be in a good place. Yeah. 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 So I can see why they'd want to help. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's stuff you can do. You don't have to be this uncomfortable. I feel like there's a moment happening with, not that it, not that it wasn't when, when you started, but that was a while ago. That was like 
2007 yeah. or something? Yeah. I mean, what, you know, what we, Len and I always joke, it's like, well, you know, every, every uh, overnight success spent, you know, 10 years, you know, yeah. in the dive yeah, bars. I think that's true. Right. And so now it's really great. We have, with all the clients that we worked with throughout the years, we have solid evidence that um, the happiness practice does indeed simultaneously um, uh, reduce you know, stress and burnout symptoms, improve happiness, innovation, resiliency, and impacts positively key performance indicators. So now it's really about capacity and scale. So we're looking um, at using technology in new ways, right? So that we can have a high tech and high touch, mm-hmm. you know, experience. And since it's a life practice, um, it's about um, having communities of people support each other. Yeah. You know, um, a gentleman this morning was saying, I'm looking forward to when we have, you know, the, the capability to just anybody call a happiness huddle and say, I'm in Finland, it's 6 p.m., and I like a happiness huddle around principle number three. And people all over the world just kind of chime in and like, let's, let's, let's refresh on principle number three. Let's, let's sharpen our practice. So we're really excited about um, equipping more and more people with happiness practice. You know, the solutions that we need in the world to survive and thrive as a species are going to be born from people who are happy, not the people who are unhappy. Yeah. And we... There's so much um, potential um, in the human spirit, and we need to to really cherish that, cultivate that, polish that up. You know, what we'll often say is when you cultivate a new way of being, you naturally cultivate a new way of doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can think about all these great things and to do all these great things, but we've got to be in a good place ourselves, like you've just said. Mm-hmm. And when we have our systems, like the healthcare system and um, the education system, which are really challenged, mm-hmm. you know, at a number of levels, the people in those systems are the bedrock of our society. Yeah. So if if we want the system to change, you know, it's the people in the system. I, I think that's true. Need to shore up, you know. So, so this might be kind of an interesting thing to, to sort of wrap this, is, is that you getting involved in this or you pushing into this when you did, at the point in your life when you did, and developing all these things, what is your day-to-day, what are the things that you feel like you need to have in your day-to-day that are still your touchstones for, mm. for different parts of, of you mm-hmm. and, to, and to keep that, that balance that, that allows for happiness? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I do is is really remind myself that happiness is already inside of me. Mm, yeah. So when, when I'm feeling off, you know, whether that's unhappy or or um anxious or whatever, anxious or, or whatever, I'm yeah. like, oh, it's in it's it's in it's in it's in there, Nancy. And then yeah. I kind of go through the five principles and say, which one would help me now? Because they work together as a system. Yeah. So you you pick up, co-create what works now, and you can't do that without being conscious, honor feelings, release control. So you just use them to start somewhere. To start somewhere, and um, really thank God for friends. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm bumping up against something, I'm like I'm bumping up against something. Do you see this in me? What do you see? You know, that's that's part of me practicing to be more vulnerable, yeah. which um, I have to say is um, I'm looking forward to, but I know it's going to take me take some work. Okay. I also um, I say yes a lot. I say yes, um, like meeting you. Yeah, I you know. Stephen introduced us. Yes, right. We had this other. Yes, yeah, I. You yeah. know, I say yes a lot. Um, do, do you follow some instinct in that, or is, are you just kind of at a point right now where you're where you're trying to open up to? to I think I'm else? just trying to open up because I think um, I learn so much. Yeah. You know, when I meet somebody new or yeah. read something new or, you know, try something new and, and things like that. Because I hear the opposite sometimes these days of like people are trying to saying you should say, you know, in terms of productivity, you should say no yeah. more. And and I would say I had, a, I had a, a day on Monday where I said yes to a couple of things that ended up being kind of incredible. And it and it's you're going to you're going to have some duds in there. You've got to build that in. But you, you, you don't get to have all the other experiences if you don't get a dud once in a while, you know? Like, I think that's one of those things. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think some of those notions, it's like you got to say no, or maybe it's just we need to f- identify where we want to spend our time and energy. Yeah. Right, right then. And to be able to renegotiate, like, well, I thought it was going to be this, but then, like I was sharing with you, I'm a good friend of mine. I've known for 30 years. I met her in my IBM days. She was in town unexpectedly. I'm like, let me make a few phone calls. Let me adjust some things, you know, I, I, you know, and she appreciated that it was unexpected, but we figured it out. Right. So you make room for that. Yeah. You know, how are you going to find the people that you're supposed to be kind of co-creating with if you don't pick up the phone. Yeah, make the space. If you don't have the coffee conversation, if you don't, you know, say yes to some things. And yeah, there's going to be some duds. But I think, but then don't you always find it's like, maybe I was supposed to, maybe the reason I met that person is because somebody else I know or somebody I'm about to know needs to have that connection. Yeah. So I'm just being more and more aware of how interconnected we all are and we need each other to do the connections. Yeah. And so I love it when that happens to say, I just met you, right? Fabulous. Don't know, don't know what it is yes, here. Yes. But then like two days later, you talk to somebody. I'm like, you've got to really talk to Jeremy. Yeah, that happens a lot. Doesn't that though? Yeah. So we got to be open to that. And then you got to like, lean into that feeling. Isn't that just amazing how connected we are and kind of trust that everything's happening for us, not to us. It was really interesting. If you're open to one more story. So a decade ago, if we would have met, my life would have um, uh, been like a Netflix series called Three Men, a Ghost, and a Puppy. (laughs) Because I was in, I was... transitioning out of, you know, my marriage. I was in my first beige apartment. And <laughs> there's a book. Then I was like, we're going to have a book, you know, the, the importance of the beige apartment. So in the beige apartment, my daughter was moving, you know, heading, you know, to college. My older brother for the third time was homeless and unemployed. And you could just 
feel his depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the it was the yeah. cloud. So he moved back in with me. My son's um, depression bloomed right on time, six weeks into his freshman year in college. Yeah. So he yeah. came back. Um, I was noticing that one of my son's friends, who he met through um, music, was spending a lot of nights on our couch. So one morning, I was saying goodbye to everybody because I was heading to work. And I don't know what came over me, Jeremy, but I just asked Chevy Boy. I only knew him as his rap handle at that time, <laughs> Chevy Boy. I said, do you have a place you call home? And he's like, no, ma'am, trying to keep that on the download. And I just said, you know, clearly there's every, we all have some healing to do here. And um, you can all live here without worrying about paying rent or, you know, where your next meal is going to be or, you know, where you're going to sleep at night for a year. I get everybody kind of a year. But we're going to do our work, meaning the practice. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I kind of left him with that. I'm like, but you're going to do your work. Like, all, you know, here's, here's, here's the offer, but I'm serious about the work. And I left and I came back. You know, after work, and I was pretty sure the the young men were going to take me up on it. And I was like, "How can I make a bed for Chevy Boy?" But I had like a cot and an egg crate, and I, f- you know, figured out something. And they they came came in at that time as I was kind of fixing this, and I said, "Chevy Boy, why don't you? We'll get you a real bed this weekend, but you know, sit down on this." And he doesn't mind me sharing this story. We're we're sharing this story. Um, and he sat down on this bed and he said, this is the first bed I've ever had in my life. Mm. And that's when I learned he's 32 years old. Lived with his cousins and his aunts in northeast Minneapolis. Um, one brother killed in, in front of him in a gang shooting, another brother in prison. And, um, and his name is Leon. So he's engaging in the practice. And in short order, he's like, we weren't taught this. You know, we, we, you know I, my community, we, we weren't taught these things. And you could just see this young man shift from being a victim to being empowered. And just a few months ago, as I was getting ready to move, um, I invited him and his girlfriend over because I'm like, sure, surely you want some of my stuff because I'm taking very little with, with me. And, you know, I loved it because he wanted my purple dishes um, and my flat screen TVs. Like, you can have all that. But in this conversation, he said, Nancy, he goes, the happiness practice saved my life. Mm-hmm. He said, without the happiness practice and you taking me in because I needed to be surrounded in different in a different environment. He goes, I'd either, rather, I'd either be dead or in prison, like my brother. So in quick order, we get connected to his brother, who's an incarcerated man. Um, and both Leon and his brother are now becoming certified to share the happiness practice with others. And we're in conversations with the Department of Corrections to bring the happiness practice not only to incarcerated men, mm-hmm. but to also the staff and, and um, guards and whatnot. Cause, and it was so rewarding because as Leon's brother's going through the happiness practice, 
I would I would share with Linda. I'm like he is he is like a week away from being authentically happy. Mm-hmm. You could just feel the shifts. Um, and sure enough, Linda and I were in the, in, in the car. We we're heading back from an event, and he called. You get the collect call from Stillwater, you know, from the penal institution. You take it, and I'm like, "How are you?" He said, "I'm happy for the first time in my life, and I'm still in prison with a life sentence." He said, "This is going to take me a minute to process," but that. Th- I mean, he's, he's, his story is, is actually not that extreme. His circumstances are extreme. Mm-hmm. But if a gentleman, you know, who um, is wanting to better himself, you know, you know in, in those challenging situations and can shift from feeling like a victim to feeling empowered and step into being authentically happy, that's actually freedom. Yeah. And culturally and in health practice and all these different things that I'm thinking of, there's so many people who feel this way. We're we're not, and you you know, him, uh, Leon saying that he he never learned this stuff as a kid. I mean, who did? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, we're we're at a point now where I I'm I'm hopeful that you know some of this stuff starts to enter the education system through our teachers and you know through into our medical system through through you know different means because we we are I, I think I think we're we're kind of at a, a, a crossroads right now. I can just you know every once in a while I feel like we we hit these things and it, I just feel it very strongly right now. Like something's something's shifting. It's going to be work, you know. We're not a week away, <laughs> but, yeah. but we're, but we're, but we're pushing into something. And I and I I feel like I keep having conversations like this, you know, with people like you here on the podcast, where it's like, I I see I, I see the the correlation between all the different pieces, mm-hmm. and 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 also part of the reason why I felt like, you know, continuing to push into this project is developing this community of people who, like you were saying, I, I think I, there are people that I'd like to connect you to now who have been here, you know, at the mic, because I think there's, there's something that starts to happen after we, the people with the same kinds of intention, you know, start to get together. So I'm hoping to, 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 you know, maybe have some kind of event for all of us. And that is such an important role that you're playing because that's part of that connector, you know? Yeah. And, um, I love that Mar- Margaret Mead quote, you know, never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. Yeah. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. But one of our, one of the organizations here in town is called the Women's Health Leadership Trust. Mm-hmm. And now they're a force of 500, you know, nurse, women nurse leaders, mm-hmm. strong, or not just nurses, but I'll say healthcare leaders. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, that's a force. Yeah. 500 women uh, we can do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The Finland education system, I mean, they have a vision. Get this into, they get THP into every classroom. Yeah. You know? So I agree with you. I mean, I don't know what the tipping point feels like, but we're, we're, we're about there. And the healthcare system, it, it, it's not sustainable. It's just, the sick care system yeah. is not sustainable. 
And the education system, when we first kind of packaged at the happiness practice, my mother's a ferocious reader, so I had her read it. And then, of course, I, I hear mom read this. I'll be going back, come back from work. And I'm like, what you think? She goes, well, this is how life works. I'm like, you could have told me. And she's like, I didn't know. You know, she needed her 85 years. I'm like, didn't get at church, didn't get at school. You know, I had had kind of my own like midlife crisis, if you will, yeah. to like, what is this? And so I celebrate what you're doing and I celebrate that it was born out of your discomfort. And your desire to say, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And the discomfort of others, too. Like, I, I, there's a part of my, my Libra nature that just cannot handle unfairness in the world. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I, there's, a, there's a part of me that's like sees these kinds of things and thinks. And I, I think I also have, just by nature, I kind of have a bit of an engineering brain. So, like, I'm thinking, this is solvable. Like, there are things that I just see that I think, this is solvable. And then, start putting, implementing things. So in my practice, the way I've sort of developed programs and then everything is like, now that I have that system down, like I know exactly based on who's coming in a lot of times, you know, maybe long-term what their, what their system is going to be, but certainly that first month, I know exactly where I'm going with them. And, and that's, and that's one of those things that I think you can only get from experience too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like that's what you guys, uh, where you guys are right now too. You've, you've, uh, the, you know, I haven't I haven't published research uh, per se, but I keep good notes and I and I see certain kinds of trends over and over again, and that's that's what I'm always looking for, mm-hmm. and that that's what leads you know my deciding whether or not I'm the appropriate person to work with this you know individual or not. If I if I if I recognize it you know in the, in that in our initial conversation, and I know I'm the I, I'm certainly a good person for the beginning of this process for them, then I take them on. But I don't always. There's there are times where I think there's other stuff that you should do first. Mm-hmm. So then that's a great way that you say no. Hmm. You know, you're choosing where to you know share your gifts, your talents, your yeah. energies by cluing into to, you know, the people that you meet. But you got to meet them first to know that. Right. Right? And, and, and I just want both of us to have a successful outcome. I mean, mm-hmm. when it comes right down yeah. to it, you know. Yeah. And if I think that their chances are better with somebody else to start out with, then that's the, then, then, then I've also built rapport with them. And there are times where that circles back around and I get a referral from them or they end up with me mm-hmm. later on or something. So. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. But before we say goodbye today, I'm going to book my appointment with you. <laughs> it's a deal. Thanks for taking the time oh, to do this. It's so great. Jeremy, thank you for being who you are. Oh, thank you. And doing what you're doing. It's, an, it's, it's very important and very timely. Nancy O'Brien, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Couldn't cover every step of their process, but I hope you found some jewels of wisdom to carry with you. If you're interested in learning more about the happiness practice, check out their website at experiencehappiness.biz. You can take their five-minute assessment to evaluate your own personal levels of stress, burnout, and happiness, and receive a snapshot to learn more about your own emotional, physical, and behavioral well-being, and inform shifts on how to enhance it. And if you're part of an organization, sign up to receive more info about how to bring THP to your workplace. Also, remember to check out uh, Highway to Health's Instagram and Facebook pages for daily inspiration, hear about upcoming guests and events, and let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. I always like to, to hear from you. 
email me directly at jeremy at highwaytohealthpodcast.com. And if you have a guest that you think I should have here on the show, please reach out to me and let me know who they are and why you think I should have them on. Maybe you are that person and maybe I should get to know you. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.